Good morning, Bethlehem. So here we are. The final countdown has begun. We have one week left until the big day. So how are you feeling? Are you feeling energized or maybe a little bit tired? Tired, yeah. Are you feeling excited or maybe you're a little bit overwhelmed at everything that has to get done over the next week? Yeah, I hear tired and overwhelmed. So let's take a moment and let's pray and commit this time no matter what we come here with feeling like. Father, we quiet ourselves before you now. No matter what's going on in our minds, in our hearts, we pray that they would be empty now and we would be ready to hear the words your spirit would share with us. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the word Advent, as we heard in the Advent candlelighting this morning, means coming. It's from the Latin word Adventus. And so with one week left until the big day, which coming are you anticipating? Are you looking forward to celebrating the coming of Christ? Or maybe you're full of dread at the thought of the credit card bill that will be coming in January. The season of Advent is supposed to be focused on the coming of Christ as our Messiah. But as we entered the Advent conspiracy over the past four weeks, I think many of you are like me. You've been grappling with just how far off course we have drifted over the past 2,000 years. Over the past four weeks, we've exposed the religion of consumerism that has taken over the Christmas story. We've looked back at the participants in that very first Advent. We looked at Mary and Joseph, the shepherds at the wise men, to guide our worship this season. We've challenged ourselves to spend less, but also to give more. But you know, there's still one question left about Advent that we have not answered. Quite simply, why? Why did God send his son into our world? To answer that question, we actually have to go back much further than 2,000 years. We have to go back all the way to the beginning. Right? In the beginning, in Genesis, the story began so beautifully and perfectly. It's the culminating act of his creation God created man and woman in his image, the Omega die. Right? Genesis one twenty seven says this about it. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. Right? Like God, we were created is relational, moral, creative, and spiritual beings. And man and woman were not just created as a reflection of God, but we were created as representatives of God on earth with responsibility to rule over it. But sadly, the beauty and the perfection were short-lived. Even though Adam and Eve enjoyed a perfect relationship with God, with each other, and with all of creation, they fell prey to Satan's temptation. 
and they sinned. The original sin disrupted all of the beauty and the perfection. It disrupted the relationship between man and God, between man and woman, and between man and all of creation. I can almost picture Adam and Eve sitting there on some rock outside of the garden once they had been kicked out, thinking to themselves, wow, that didn't turn out quite the way we thought it would, did it? I know I've sat there and thought to myself many times, wow, that didn't quite turn out the the way I thought it would, did it? But you know what? By God's grace, the story did not end there. Even though Adam and Eve turned their backs on God and walked away, even though each of us has turned our backs on God and walked away, He still loves us. And He still desires a relationship with us. But His love, as big as it is for us, was not enough. Because he's not just a loving God, he is also a just God. And even though he loves us, and he wants us back, our fellowship with him could not be renewed unless a penalty was paid to satisfy his justice. So why did Christ come? Christ came because God loves you. Christ came to rescue us from the sin of Adam. Adam's sin resulted in condemnation for all men. But Christ's righteousness became the justification for all who believe in him. There's perhaps no clearer statement of God's love for us than John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Right? If God could say one thing to you, he would say, I love you. And he'd say, I've taken the first step to make it all right. Now you need to take the second step. But the story doesn't end there either. Christ didn't come just to save us from our sins. Through Christ, our relationship with God has been reconciled. We have once again been given the opportunity and the responsibility to be his representatives here on earth. God wants us to help him change the world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says this, All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, because of his great love for us, God gave us Christ to redeem us and to restore our relationships. 
Further on in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 8, the Apostle Paul reminds us that Jesus set aside his infinite riches and was born into the lowest possible circumstances so that you and I might gain great riches. Jesus set aside all of his glory in heaven to be born into our sin-scarred world. He became poor, so we no longer have to be poor. Theodotus, who was a martyred saint in the 4th century, had this to say about Christ's coming that first advent. The Lord of all comes as a slave amidst poverty, choosing for his birthplace an unknown village in a remote province. He is born of a poor maiden and accepts all that poverty implies. For he hopes by stealth to ensnare and to save us. If he had been born of high rank and admits luxury, unbelievers would have said the world had been transformed by wealth. If he had chosen as his birthplace the great city of Rome, they would have thought the transformation had been brought about by civil power. Suppose he had been the son of an emperor, they would have said how useful it is to be powerful. Imagine him, the son of a senator. It would have been, look what can be accomplished by legislation. But in fact, what did he do? He chose surroundings that were poor and simple, so ordinary as to be almost unnoticed, so that people would know it was the Godhead alone that had changed the world. God loves you. He's taken the first step. Have you taken the second? Because Christ came, we have been offered the priceless gift of restored relationships with God, with each other, and with all of creation. The outrageous wealth of Christ is now credited to those who didn't earn it and who don't deserve it. This is the good news that the angels proclaimed to the shepherds. I know it's familiar, but let's read it in Luke chapter 2. Right, And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. If we follow the story that unfolds through the biblical meta narrative, beginning all the way back with Adam, through the rise and fall of the nation of Israel, right up to the birth of Christ, and onward, right to today, we see a God that continues to pursue us, even though we have rejected him time and time again. That is love. God loves us. He's taken the first step. What happens when we take the second step? What happens is a new and beautiful story begins to be written in our lives. Relationships are restored and the love of God is spread. 
Listen to what John had to say about these renewed relationships. I want to read it to you from a translation called The Voice. From 1 John chapter 1, right at the beginning. We want to tell you about the one who was from the beginning. We have seen him with our own eyes, heard him with our own ears, and touched him with our own hands. This one is the manifestation of the life-giving voice. And he showed us real life, eternal life. We have seen it all, and we can't keep what we have witnessed quiet. We have to share it with you. We, inv- we are inviting you to experience eternal life through the one who was with the Father and came down to us. What we saw and heard, we pass on to you so that you too will be connected with us intimately and become family. Our family is united by our connection with the Father and his son Jesus, the anointed one. And we will write all of this because retelling this story fulfills our joy. The story of the first advent is an unnerving story. Frederick Buechner, in his book, The Hungering Dark, had this to say about the results of the first advent. Those who believe in God can never in a way be sure of him again. Once they have seen him in a stable, they can never be sure where he will, rep- where he will appear or to what lengths he will go or to what ludicrous depths of self-humiliation he will descend in his wild pursuit of man. If the holiness and the awful power and majesty of God were present in this least auspicious of all events, this birth of a peasant's child, then there is no place or time so lowly and earthbound, but that his holiness cannot be present there too. And this means that we are never safe, that there is no place where we can hide from God, No place where we are safe from his power to break into and recreate the human heart because it is just where he seems most helpless that he is most strong and just where we least expect him that he comes most fully. See, God's love knows no boundaries. Our God is an inclusive God. His love spans all class systems of society. He loves the rich, He loves the ordinary, he loves the overlooked, and he loves the forgotten. He loves all people. He loves this sinful, sick humanity that we find ourselves in. God's love has no boundaries. But I think if we take a hard look at ourselves, I think we will find that our love does in fact have boundaries. Loving like God loves is not our natural inclination. Our default is to shelter ourselves from the dirtiness of the world. See, anybody can love their own families and their friends. But to love like God loves, we have to stretch our boundaries. True love is demonstrated by sacrificing with the same intensity and the same passion for those that we don't know. Realizing that they have a heavenly father too that is crazy about them and wants to love them through us. This kind of love does not come naturally to us. It takes discipline and sacrifice. See, when you love people who don't expect it, 
it causes them to re-examine everything going on in their lives because they have been confronted by grace. God gave us a tangible gift of love. He gave us his presence. And now it's our turn. Now we are being called to be present too. We're being called to be present with our families, present with each other, present with our neighbors and with our coworkers, present with the people on the margins, the working poor, the homeless, the hungry, and the thirsty. We are called to love the people Jesus loved and to love them the way he loved them. If God gave Jesus for the love of the world, I think we have to ask ourselves, what can we give for the love of the world? See, as poor people who have met with, a right, with the righteous wealth of God, it is now our turn to model his generosity by sharing our wealth with those in need. So, can Christmas still change the world? I think what we've begun to discover over the past four weeks is a resounding yes. Right? We sold out of our hats, changing the lives of women in Uganda and Peru. There's only six lonely bags of coffee on our little Christmas tree over here, out of the 135 that it takes to change the life of a Thai farmer. Pastor Barry talked about the matching gift for the well. One of our women's Bible studies adopted a family that we provide for through our benevolence ministry to give gifts for their kids for Christmas. Our youth last week took an offering upstairs and collected $360 that they used to buy gift cards for their peers who are living in the homeless shelter with Interfaith Homeless that we've partnered with. I'm hearing stories from many of you, stories of families who have chosen to enter into the conspiracy and are changing their celebrations. I've seen the change in my own family. I haven't been to the mall once, and it's not because I had my wife do all my shopping. She hasn't been to the mall either, because we sat down and decided to do something different this year. It's going to be a lot of people in my family trying Thai coffee in January. (laughs) But we decided to give some of that money away and take the rest of it and invest in our relationship with each other, to invest in going places and doing things. To invest in time instead of things. Right? People of all ages are finding themselves with generous hearts, offering their time, money, and their selves to others because they have been compelled by the love of God. We are transforming the Advent story, but make no mistake, the changes that occur are not simply about us. When God's people serve the poor in humble, generous ways, the story of God's love through Christ is told again and again. The poor in our world will be touched through how we choose to celebrate Christmas. Watch this with me. Previously, when we said about Jesus, they said, what is, uh, what is the meaning of Jesus? We are the first who sharing the 
word of god water will open up doors for us to share about uh, jesus it can be a great opening for us to enter to their lives so unless we meet the needs of their life we cannot reach even the gospel also and then in that way we are just slowly taking the love of the god things are changing slowly but surely living as they live then only we can communicate christ christians have been known to have this attitude of service no other religion has that so if we come with a well they know we are serving them and there's a reason behind it that because jesus taught us you know and jesus came to serve so we are serving you in turn and that really uh, touches their heart through all this help we will build the kingdom of god here See, in this decidedly cynical world where far too many people have heard far too many empty words, the way we love others does make a difference. Whether we love others across the world or in the third house down the street, the poor and the vulnerable and the outcast will be seen and heard and touched and fed, not out of some class-based guilt, but as a response to our worship of a god who loved us first see the good news of the gospel is for all people and let's face it without christ we are all poor blind and thirsty we have been given this lavish gift of life through christ and now we are called to enter this broken world and love differently Every once in a while God will give us something big to do but every day he gives us something small we can do and those small things add up to make a big difference So what if what if advent was bigger Christmas is the time of year when we celebrate God moving into our neighborhood But you know the incarnation isn't something we only have to celebrate once a year The story is so much bigger than that and it's still being written. The clear teaching of scripture shows us that as believers in Christ, we are being sent into this broken world to do two things. To tell the great story of God's love and to live it out. James says it more clearly than anybody. Chapter 1, verse 22. but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like but the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty and perseveres being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts he will be blessed in his doing See the incarnation isn't only about one glorious moment in history when a little baby was born in Bethlehem. The incarnation is not even limited to the 33 years that Christ walked on our earth. God is still in the neighborhood and he wants to make an appearance in this world through his followers. 
Eugene Peterson, in his book, Answering God, reflects on on our response to the Messiah this way. Messiah is God's person in history. God is not exclusively in the business of dealing with souls. He is also active in cities. Messiah is God's invasion of the secular, his entry into the world, where people go to school, go to work, go to war, and go to Chicago. He enters, and he enters in person. Jesus did not just come to change that time and place. He wants to change this time and place. And the Apostle Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 5.20 that we are ambassadors of Christ. And in Colossians 3, he gives us these instructions. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The advent of Christ is the greatest gift God has ever given us. It is not the most expensive gift, but it is the greatest gift. And the Advent conspiracy has been our invitation to leave behind Christmas as it's been redefined by our culture. It's been an invitation for us to re-enter that first Christmas story 2,000 years ago. It's been an invitation to worship Christ holy to be transformed the way a poor teenage couple, some shepherds and some wise men were. It's an invitation to love the way God loved and give the way God gave. But what if? What if we could extend the conspiracy beyond a few weeks at Christmas? What if we continually resisted the culture of consumerism? What if we continually resisted the empire of more And let our worship of Emmanuel, God with us, echo throughout the year. I think we would find that our lives, our houses, our churches, and our communities would in fact be full. But they wouldn't be full of stuff. They would be full of substance. The presents around the tree may not be stacked quite so high. But the stories of worship, of love, and of renewed relationships will grow richer and deeper. Let's worship as we watch this video together. There is love.
Final countdown has begun. Just seven days left until the big day. Can Christmas still change the world? Ultimately, we will each have to answer that question for ourselves. You might regret some gifts and purchases, but you will never regret giving clean water or other sacrificial gifts. You will never regret investing in the life of another person. The joy box is here. Few lonely bags of coffee left on the tree. Join with us as we share God's boundless love with people who desperately need sustainable incomes, safe drinking water, and most importantly, people who need the living water, the gospel of God. As a staff, we pray that this Advent season, this journey through the Advent conspiracy, has prepared you to worship fully, to spend less to give more, and to love all. To love your family, even the hard-to-love ones. We all have them. To love your brothers and sisters in Christ. To love the overlooked and marginalized. As always, our Stephen ministers and elders will be here to pray with you, if you'd like. Stand with me as we close. And now I pray together with the Apostle Paul that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Hope to see you back here next weekend. Go in peace. Amen.